0: world. My name is Randy Rosé and welcome to the Unplugged podcast where we uncover the world of tech and business through the world of sport. Today I'm joined by David Meltzer who's the co-founder of Sports One Marketing and formerly served as CEO of the renowned Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency which was the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire. Welcome David. How are you?
1: Fantastic. I'm so excited to be here. What a privilege and a pleasure. I'm looking forward to speaking with you.
0: Absolutely. We're so happy to have you here as well. A uh, couple more notes on David for those that do not know him. Uh, David's life mission is to empower over 1 billion people to be happy. This simple yet powerful mission has led him on an incredible journey to provide one thing, value. In all his content and communication, that it, that's exactly what you'll receive. As part of that mission, for the past 20 years, he's been providing free weekly trainings to empower others to empower others to be happy. So, welcome to the show, David.
1: Ah, I am excited to be here. Let's make it happen.
0: Right, let's go. So, how are you? What have you been up to these days? You know, what's taking up your time these days?
1: You know, for me, it's understanding the power of frequency. And when I say that, obviously, I do a lot of content. Uh, you know, I believe in the power of 64. Uh, which means double the amount of productive hours, double the amount of efficient hours and double the amount of statistically successful hours. Well, nowhere is that more important than building your frequency. So to have a strong signal, what I've learned over the last three years, but especially the last five months is that you cannot outproduce the internet. Just like you can't out ask the universe Mm-hmm. You cannot produce. And where I have found the nuance of why people quit and why they don't understand how important it is to create a lot of content is that the people that are closest to us, the people who already love us and like us and support us, they're going to get as annoyed if you start putting out enough content to actually build your frequency, to strengthen your signal, to learn the spectrum of your signal and to clarify your message so that, you know, it's not what you say, it's what they hear. And what I have found, especially in the last five months is that my brand, my frequency has grown so much. My impact, my mission of empowering over a billion people has been effectuated so much, but I have annoyed the crap. (laughs) Out of the people who love me and like me, they're like, dude, too much, too much. I'm like, then stop watching. I almost would rather everyone that's close to me unsubscribe, so I can have the millions of people that don't know me and love me and support me start knowing me, loving me and supporting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're building a community. Right, you're, you're building absolutely community. of happiness, of happiness, which is a simple but yet powerful beyond even value. Right, it's a simple but powerful tool. Happiness is the greatest virus of all time, spread simply by witnessing it.
0: Absolutely. Now, um, I know you know we've we've been dealing with COVID for the last four or five months. I don't even remember what period it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know what what was your transition like into COVID, and you know seeing that it's here it's going to be here for a little bit. Um, you know, what's next for David?
1: Yeah, so I immediately, because of my experience in 93, 97, 2008, and my preparation for a downturn, uh, I specifically have been working on capabilities, my skills, my knowledge, not just knowledge of information, but knowledge of people, and my desire, all trying to align those with synergistic and supplementary things that we're going to be aligned with a downturn. Right. During a downturn, a third of the companies do really well, a third of the companies are stabilized, and a third of the companies get crushed. And that provides more opportunities because with big change becomes big margins, with companies being emotionally sold off, they also get emotionally bought back. Uh, and this has been a lesson that I've learned you know, over three decades of doing this and you know, three or four different downturns. So for me, I've been about a week ahead uh, of where... I think everyone else is. So when they, everybody was sent home, I sent everybody home in March a week early. Uh, I just felt it was coming and it gave me a huge leg up. I have been preparing, you know, a virtual remote office, uh, for years, uh, because I knew I didn't think it would happen in 16 weeks or whatever the amount of weeks it's been. Uh, but I knew in the next decade, I've been reading reports that over 50% of the employee, um, of all employees in America by 2027, over 50% were going to be freelancers, entrepreneurs, etc. cetera. If you look at the content that I do, the brand that I built, as well as the structure and culture of my business, it's been gearing for 2027. I just didn't realize it was coming in July of 2020, where mm-hmm. over 50% of the employees are freelancers and entrepreneurs. Exactly. exactly. No, COVID, I feel COVID is... You know, we were all,
0: as a a world, as, you know, global citizens, we're all on our way to this digital transformation. COVID uh, has kind of sped that up. You know, they call the digital transformation five to ten years. COVID has sped it up to two to three, two to four. So it's kudos to you for definitely being ahead of the curve, for sure.
1: I I think you bring up an interesting point, too, because, you know, everybody's fear-based. I practice ending fear. It's one of the key five components of my life. Uh, but I think we'll look back on history and be so grateful for the mm-hmm. efficiencies, effectiveness, and statistical success, especially in America, because we, you know, like myself, we were prepared for the div- digital transformation, right? We, we weren't prepared for how quickly, but the interesting thing was it actually accelerated, you know, it reminds me back in the old days in the Industrial Revolution when, you know, manufacturing plants were quickly formed to help support our country and the defense of our country and all the different wars and mechanisms of war well for here it was much more positive right these were most of the businesses you know as as much as there's pain right now and, and pain is an indicator of the lessons learned they're gonna look back 10 years and go yeah we suffered for a couple years but mm-hmm. we have built a digital infrastructure right? Just like FDR built in the five-year plan, right? With you know roads and parks and all the things that we were allowed to build in infrastructure of our country that I believe really helped us accelerate and propel us far beyond everyone else. I think China and Russia and, and Venezuela and other places around the world are shaking in their boots because we were sitting cush, right? And meanwhile, they were getting way ahead because they were building a digital infrastructure. You know, I, I found it very interesting. I could go to Marrakesh, right? Into Morocco and sit in my Riyadh and have better connectivity than I had in Orange County, California, right? <laughs> that, that, that is an interesting thing. You know, think about what we've done in the efficiencies. Now, we're going to have to reform a lot of our institutions, you know, our travel, especially hospitality and travel have transformed themselves. But once again, I believed in the stage theory. I've always said Shakespeare has it right for the future. The whole world's a stage. You need to learn to capture what's going on in reality, modify it appropriately for where you want to distribute it, amplify it correctly on those distribution platforms. And most importantly, what most young people don't get today, where I think my big vision is, if you're listening up, I'm going to give you a peek into the old man, take what you learned in the past and apply to the present, perpetual content. Mm. I don't, Right, right now everybody's so like, hey, I get paid, you know, this much money to pop out an eight second video on TikTok because I use the right music and the right, you know, nail polish. Hey, that's really great and it's short term revenue. But if you really want to understand this game over 20 segments, which is not necessarily a year as a segment, but I believe things double in a segment, so I segment out everything I do. If you want to go 20 segments out on what you're doing, you better figure out a perpetual strategy of how people can binge watch David Meltzer, right? What I, you notice the difference in my content is not just me standing in front of a Rolls Royce I don't own or a private jet I'm not taking, (laughs) Right. It, it's a perpetual content that somebody listens to one video or, or an interview like this and then goes back and goes to, you know, number one podcast with Lee Steinberg on the playbook and has 450 episodes to go through while I'm building another 450 in front of it. And yeah. my great, you know, I walk home and, and where I learned the lesson, by the way, I walked home, my girls were, were home from you know college and I walked in and they're watching MASH. Right. Which was my favorite show. At 4 p.m. on CBS, when I got home from school, that was my half hour with Hawkeye and, you know, the whole crew. And my kids were like, hey, have you ever seen this show? (laughs) And I'm thinking, Alan Alda had no clue, right, that my teenage girls would be watching this show in 2020 during COVID. And moreover, the king of all media, the king of all frequencies, Disney, He had no idea in the 1940s when he created a black and white whistling mouse that there'd be 470 million views on the Mickey Mouse Club on YouTube. I promise you. 470 million, right? So get a perpetual strategy in motion, even when you're first starting, even if it's not till 20 segments from now, because if you're 20 years old, and even if it takes a whole year to segment, to double your audience, if you just start with two people, and in year two, you got four people. In year three, you got eight people. By the time you're 40 years old, you're going to have 2 million people getting you 2 million people. And the next year, 4 million people getting you 4 million. So start now. Get perpetual. Not only capture, modify, and amplify, but get perpetual with your strategy.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for that. That was absolutely beautiful. Um, to, to add to your point, you know, um, with, with our work here at the Athlete Tech Group, um, we had a, a, a guest, CJ McCullum. come on. And speak about um, how, you know, once the NBA paycheck stopped, athletes were now looking at, all right, what's next, right? Because they were very transactional. I get paid for doing something, right? So what you're talking about is creating things that last, even when you're sleeping, creating things that last past what you're currently doing, um, which is an absolute beautiful uh, point that you just brought up.
1: CJ right CJ is like a Buddha he believes in compound interest now just because we got a lot of sports guys on here I do want to mention there are only three NBA athletes that were not bothered by COVID and that's because their agent actually included a pandemic clause in their contract so that is a smart agent that's Lee Steinberg type of shit that's good stuff
0: (laughs) (laughs) absolutely love that um did you become a little bit less busy or more busy um because
1: of COVID. That's so funny, because first of all, I don't believe in busy. I believe in active, right? Mm. And then I break it down to activity I get paid for, activity I don't get paid for. Busy means unavailable, right? Oh, I'm busy. I can't talk. Oh, I'm busy. I can't do that. Oh, I didn't want to bother you because you're busy. So I'm not a busy person, right? That means unacceptable. I'm an active person. And I will tell you this, I have never been more active in my entire life I mean, I am stuck in this closet with more things to do to be Mm -hmm. productive, accessible, and gracious with my life, to provide value, to be accessible to others, to access what I want, and to find the light, the love, and the lessons every single day, seven days a week. It's incredible. And I'll tell you why I'm so active. It's because of that accelerated freelancer thing, right? I... You know I'm, I'm a person who's, who's a, a ferocious Buddha I'm a humble Buddha. I, I work really hard at it, but mm-hmm. I have learned that I take my inventory every day and I'm the world 's biggest hypocrite, and one of my superpowers is I'm not afraid of telling you I'm a huge hypocrite. I, I didn't know what I didn't know. I can't tell you how much time, resources and money I had wasted on my ego mm-hmm. thinking I had to fly around to places with my entire crew with three cameras, production, etc. you know just today. I mean, it, it, literally, in the last 24 hours, I've had Cameron Diaz. I've had uh, uh, the, the uh, executive chairman of KIND, you know, the billionaire, uh, mm-hmm. right? I've had the CTO of PayPal, all, all on full interviews. I've taken 10 interviews myself. I've had 10 coaching clients. I've had literally an Instagram live every day at 8 a.m., office hours at 3. You know, th- these are my – I couldn't even fly to go see Lebetsky from, you know, from uh, KIND in New York. Mm -hmm. And get that done in 24 hours. So that's why I think I'm so active. It's the efficiencies and effectiveness that I was denying myself because of my ego. Interesting.
0: Efficiencies and effectiveness that I was denying because of my ego. The three E's. Love that. absolutely (laughs) love that. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, you know, your your work in sports. Um, Like many of us, you're an avid, you know, sports fan, you're a sports marketing professional, a great, a legend as, you know, to some, where do your roots and love for sport come from?
1: I wanted to be a professional athlete, right? And the reason I think I wanted to be a professional athlete is I was a fairly good athlete at a little, at a young age. I was really fast, but, and my idols were all athletes, but it also was a way for me to stand out. I grew up you know, six kids, five boys and one girl, an extremely academic family, uh, a single mom, you know, who. So for me, you know, my siblings all went to Harvard, Penn and Columbia. I couldn't outgrade my siblings. Right. Mm-hmm. I couldn't outstudy, I couldn't out violin, out piano my siblings. Right. Or in, and my family was even worse. Talk about my siblings, you know, it was like doctor, lawyer, failure throughout my family. And it was summa cum laude at the Ivy Leagues, or you're like a, a broken fetus. You know, I mean, it was a a very competitive thing. It'd be like being born Michael Jordan's son. Like, what am I gonna do to compete here? Right. Well, right. for me, it was the opposite when it came to athletics know if i could just make a high school team i'd be the first one in my entire family to play high school sports so i think that's what initially i i I felt as if i could really distinguish myself and so i put my heart so i say the biggest lesson i learned from sports is to enjoy the consistent every day persistent without quit pursuit of my own potential because my real sports career ended in college I was an average Division three football player, baseball player, and track star, average, average yeah. Division three. But that's the closest to my quantum potential that I've ever come because I just wasn't born with, you know, greatness that I, I couldn't get closer to any potential. It wasn't like I was Warren Moon's potential if, if mm-hmm. I worked that hard with his potential potential, I would have made it farther. But I then applied it to what I do have great potential of. I'm a great communicator, great motivator, inspirer. I'm a quick thinker and processor, right? All these different things that I was able to do, which applied to sales. And so, you know, I was like a Michael Jordan of sales coming out of law school. That's how I made a million dollars in nine months. It was just I applied that incredible work ethic, length of time, effort, all the things that I learned to try to be the best football player that I could be or best athlete. But it was like, all of a sudden I moved it over to sales. and It was like, Whoa, you know, I can hit a half court shot. I mean, oh my gosh, I'm faster than everybody. You know, I'm better than this is awesome. But I don't think I'd be as successful, as passionate, purposeful, and profitable if I didn't play sports. And so, of course, all of that time, the 10,000 hours of outliers that went into sports, now I had to have sports as a backdrop to everything that I do. Personally and professionally, sports is a backdrop to everything I do.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Outliers, amazing book, uh, The 10,000 Hour Rule. Um, You you talked about, you know, how your, your lessons in sport have helped you in the business world, one thing that we, we hear about frequently is athletes make great entrepreneurs, right? I guess you would yeah, firmly absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, what do you think in terms of, you know, the startup community, right? Uh, tech group, we, we deal with a lot of tech startups and so on and so forth. But what do you think the biggest struggle for startups will be coming out of COVID-19?
1: Yeah, it's always the same no matter what the external circumstances are. Mm-hmm. And it's, we touched on it a tiny bit, it's compound interest, accumulative effect. The problem you know, that we're gonna have is that our senses are weak and our memories are weaker, that we allow the things that we don't control to get in our way. The reason people won't succeed is that peop, 99% of all que- people quit before they're 25% of the way there. Whether it's COVID, the 2008, 97, 93, your grandpa dying, Look, we can go through a long list of external factors of why people stop. The real reason they stop is because their senses are weak and their memories are weaker. Let me explain what I mean. Let's go back to my example of segmentation. If I told you that you were 20 segments, let's just say 20 years from 100% of the way where you wanna be in business. And I asked you, if your business would double every year, what year would you be halfway there? Most people will say, I'll be halfway there in 15 years. Not true. You'll be halfway there in 19 years, right? You'll double the last year to make you all the way there. So you're only 50% of the way there in 19 years, 25% of the way there in 18, you know, 12 and a half percent in 17. So what happened? Our senses, what we see, hear, feel, touch, and taste, they can't materialize the growth and acceleration that's occurring the advancements that's occurring. And their memories are so weak, they can't remember and see how far they've come. And so what happens is they create resistance, void shortages and obstacles, they quit. They quit before they get to 25%, 99% of them. Then another 99% of the 1% quit before they get to 50%, which is really sad because they're so close. They're a lot closer. (laughs) And then the 1% of the 1% get not only to 100%, But in in year 21 or segment 21, they get to 200%. And in year 22 and segment 22 to 400%, that's where you see, you know, Bezos, Elon Musk, you know, all the great entrepreneurs jobs that are able to be consistent and persistent in the pursuit of their potential. But what they're really able to do is to combine two things that most people have difficulty combining. They're able to blend persistence with patience. They don't make sense to, especially athletes, right? We we have this incredible, that's why I call myself a ferocious Buddha, because I am persistent and patient. I'm persistent, ferociously persistent and, you know, doing what I got to do every day, efficient, effective, statistically successful, but I'm patient for the outcome. I allow it to happen because I'm enjoying every day, the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential.
0: I absolutely love that. I know you talk about in, uh, on social, you know, in, in your twenties, you went broke. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So I I actually lost everything in my 30s. Uh, I was a multimillionaire in my 20s. Uh, And the interesting thing about me is I hit rock bottom two years before I lost everything. On paper, I lost over $100 million at a golf course, a ski mountain, a ton of properties and stocks and all kinds of stuff. But for me, what I really lost was my values, right? And it took, you know, my wife to slap it out of me my best friend to slap it out of me, my dad to warn me that it was going to happen. But the real truth is, is when my wife woke me and said, you better take stock in who you are or what you want to become, or not only am I leaving, but you're going to die. Wow. Right? I looked over, I, and I, when she told me that, I went to blame, shame, and justification. I went to ego-based consciousness. I looked at her and said, do you know who you're talking to? Right? Are you kidding me? You're going to pay for this. You think you can talk to me that way? Look around you, right? I was literally in that place. And then the next morning I woke up even more mad and I believe money bought happiness. So I was gonna take all the money and make her unhappy. And then there was that jacket that my dad gave me years earlier for my 30th birthday, reminding me you can't take anything with you. He tore all the pockets out of it to remind me I can't take anything with you when I'm gone. I quote unquote told my dad when he gave me that jacket, I hate you, you're punishing me you're nothing like me. You're a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, and a back-end seller, and an overseller. I never want to talk to you again. And that jacket saved my life because I almost gave away everything that was important to me. And if I didn't see that jacket hanging in my closet to literally slap me and say, you fool, you are just like your father. You hate yourself. You hate yourself for everything you think you hate your father for. You are a liar. You are a cheater, a backend seller, overseller, manipulator. You need to change your life. And so I took stock in myself that day and I have tried as a practice to live with gratitude, to find the light, the love and the lessons in everything that I do, forgiveness, to have peace in my life, accountability, especially. All I do, simply everything in my life, I take complete control of by saying, What did I do to attract this to myself and what am I supposed to learn from it? And then finally, the biggest shift in the paradigm for me was I was extremely benevolent and philanthropic. I gave tons of money, but I always gave it with something in mind to get back, a trade, a negotiation. I'll buy you a house, mom, but I want your love. I'll buy you a down payment for your house, brother, but I want your respect. I'll give you a car other, brother. I want you to tell everybody how great I am. I'll give you, you know, my church money, but I want you to tell everybody how great I am. Everything was a trader negotiation. And then I realized at that time in my life, no longer. I was going to have faith. Faith, not only in the currency of money, but faith in the currency of happiness and, and true giving. So I changed it. I said this, what is it that I want? How am I going to get it? And what do I need to get it? And then finally, for who? Because I was no longer gonna live in a world of not enough, sitting in that station wagon, eating a packed dinner in a paper bag while my mom filled turnstiles at the 7-Eleven so I could eat. I wasn't gonna live in a world of not enough where I was a victim, where I was literally everything happened to me. I wasn't even gonna live in that world of just enough where I was buying things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like, where everything was for me. I now found a new world, a world of more than enough, More than enough of everything for everyone where I was going to receive so I could appreciate it with gratitude and add value and give it away for the purpose, the why in my life. The what, the how to the why for who and all of that cycle changed my life. So I believe money doesn't buy love or happiness, but it allows you to shop. And if you shop for the right things, you're going to be really happy. And so I started shopping for the right things in the world of more than enough.
0: Wow. 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 I know you talk about um, radical humility, um, and I now see where it comes from, where that purpose comes from. Um, a question here around, um, for the athletes in our network, and, and even the entrepreneurs in our network, can you explain why even when you could buy any and everything that you wanted, um, why, why were you still not happy?
1: yeah that's a great question it's so funny because i don't think many people have asked me that um, because I attached my emotions, my happiness to an outcome. I defined myself by my bank account mm. right my my thermostat of my life was my bank account. my bank account went up I was happy it went down I was unhappy. I defined myself by that thermostat. now, money instead of being my thermostat of life became only one ingredient in the mercury of my thermostat. My thermostat simply became, how do I feel? How happy am I? Right. And so now I was able to detach my emotions from the outcome, detach anybody's definition of who I was or what I did, all defined by how much money I made. And instead, I now live my life with that new thermostat, how do I feel? And guess what made me feel good? helping other people and asking for help. Notice I said asking for help. You mentioned earlier radical humility. If you truly wanna practice radical humility, you gotta learn one question. Do you know anyone that can help me? You got everyone, all you athletes out there, I know as athletes it's so hard to ask for help. You gotta ask for help. Trust me, there are no gatekeepers out there. There's nobody in your way from what you want. Everybody is a sponsor, meaning they know somebody that can help you. Everybody's a power sponsor, meaning they can help you, and they know somebody that could help you. Drop gatekeeper, just like busy from your vocabulary. Live in a world of more than enough where everyone's a sponsor and power sponsor and live radical humility by asking for help. Do you know anybody that could help me? The natural question will follow. Is there anything I can do for you? So you're gonna add value to them as well. Absolutely.
0: And I think this kind of parlays into you know, the next point about having mentors, right? Um, what is the importance of having three mentors
1: in life? At least. So Mm -hmm. one little critical point for everyone is always talking minimums. I'm gonna empower over a billion people. I need to have at least three mentors. I'm gonna make more than a million dollars. Don't ever limit yourself. Don't Mm -hmm. don't put that pragmatic man-made construct of number on there. The universe will feel resistance, voids and shortages. Go over. It's always the minimum. Uh, And so for, for me, the importance of mentorship is number one, you know, I've been doing free trainings every Friday for 20 years, right? Because I can mentor masses now and it's so important because that's what I do. And the way that we find mentors is I find specific mentors. So I have a sleep mentor. Because right? mm-hmm. sleep is a third of my life. It's one of the most important things in my life. It's a habit that everybody uh, underutilizes, understudies and underdisciplines themselves. So I have a sleep mentor, Dr. Mita Singh, who's actually the Washington Nationals uh, uh, co- coach, sleep coach as well. And they won four games in the World Series, if you remember, all on the road. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a money a relationship to money. Bob Proctor uh, helps me with my relationship with money a- as a mentor. I get specific people who sit in the situation that I want to be in because here's what I've learned in life if I know my what, it's much easier to spend my time finding out who has my what and either asking them for the what or asking them to teach me to get the what. That's much easier than paying over $100 million in dummy tax or all the time, resources, emotion that are involved in learning ourselves. Look, if I can't find someone with the what, I'm going to have to learn to do it myself. But, you know, if you want to fix an outlet in your house, you go to YouTube because you know what you need and there's somebody to tell you how to do it. Follow the same direction with the bigger things in life. Why waste your time, resources, and money? It's already there. Just ask for it
0: absolutely absolutely and uh seeing that we're, we're wrapping up shortly um what is the the best advice from your book game time decision making like if if you know i haven't read it but for those that are tuning in want to- for,
1: for me it's practicing ending fear right and so in order to practice ending fear number one all decisions are made off our values so if you're not taking inventory of your values personal experiential giving and receiving values you're not gonna be able to make a decision, but most importantly, you've got to be able to extract the ego-based consciousness from your decision-making process. Because what happens is, if you have a need to be right, a need to be offended, a need to be separate, the need to be inferior or superior, angry, anxious, frustrated, worried, scared, resentful, all of these different things, you're gonna accelerate in the wrong direction. You're gonna create resistance, you're gonna create void shortages and obstacles from what you want. You literally are gonna be working against yourself, what other people define as getting in your own way. You're gonna make bad decisions. But if you can be a ferocious <laughs> Buddha with these four steps to complete, one, identify, practice, practice identifying when you're in ego-based consciousness, tell yourself, why am I so mad? Why am I so worried? And stop. Be for it's hard to stop. Trust me, if any of you have been in intimate relationships and you start saying dumb stuff to each other, you and I probably have both been there before. I know I have. (laughs) Some of the shit, that, shit that's come out of my mouth to the people that I love the most is insane. And I know that if I was a ferocious Buddha, I would have just stopped and saved myself time, emotion, energy, and money, especially in business too. So stop, learn to drop, meaning breathe, go to center, find neutral like Trevor Moad teaches Russell Wilson and Warren Moon, the majesty of calmness. We make good decisions when we're at neutral, our higher frequency at center, and then- We can move ferociously in the right trajectory towards what we want, allowing us to make game time decisions by staying out of ego-based consciousness, edging goodness out of our lives. Best uh, lesson in that book and for life. I so much appreciate the opportunity to share all this with you. Absolutely. David, thank you so much for joining the Unplugged podcast.